You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, Ridgecrest family, today and one more week, I'm going to be staring in this camera and have an empty room, but in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be together. And I can't wait for that time that we can have some folks in this room. It is, uh, it's been a, an interesting couple of months, but you know, God is still at work and he's always working sometimes behind the scenes. He's working in ways we can't quite comprehend, but he's working together for good, I believe, for the people of God. And so the time is coming when we will be worshiping together and I can't wait. A few months ago, we were getting near the end of our series in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, a couple of the sermons that I preached specifically concerning spiritual warfare, I had several people come up to me and say, you know, we need to hear that as a congregation. We need to hear that on Sunday morning. Now, I don't normally do this, but what I have done, I've taken a, a couple of those sermons from Ephesians and, and, and reworked them. We don't have as much time on Sunday mornings as we have on Wednesday, so I had to actually shorten it quite a bit. But I took three of those sermons from Ephesians and then wrote two new sermons, one in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and another one in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that deal with spiritual warfare. Because I believe at this point, in our history as a congregation, but I think also just Christendom around the world, we need to hear about spiritual warfare because I think we've lost our edge in many ways. I think we've, we've almost gotten to a point where we're more businesslike than we are um, ready for the battle. So today we're going to open up God's word and I'm going to challenge you to turn there with me in your copy of scripture to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking just at three verses today, but listen to these verses and realize that we have a clear clarion call to the battle and we need to be ready to fight it. Listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Let's pray. God, we know that we are facing a great challenge as we preach the gospel, we have power in that gospel, but we know that we are up against the powers of darkness. And I pray that our minds will be open today to that spiritual battle that is being fought all around us. Let us see what we need to see, that we may be the kind of Christians, the kind, the kind of of, of armor bearers and saints that we need to be, God. Whatever the role is you've called us to play, help us to do so with power and might from above. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I began to think about what spiritual warfare means, I really did feel that the Lord spoke to my heart in such a clear fashion and reminded me of, of just the, the kind of battles I have experienced in ministry over the years. When, when I have felt God move in, in powerful ways, I've also felt another sort of force, another sort of power bearing down on me. But one of the things that God began to impress on me was, if we're fighting battles, 
that's, that's a good thing. But it doesn't matter if we're winning battles, if we're fighting the wrong war. This to me is the key, that we as Christians today, we ask the question, if we're fighting the good fight, is it the good fight? Is it the proper course of action? I have been a pastor of churches now for many years, well over 20 years, and I have led staffs and we've had many meetings, and I can tell you that many times as we've come together, our conversations and our strategies have been very similar perhaps to what you would hear in a boardroom of a Fortune 500 company. In other words, I think today, uh, and I don't think anybody meant to do this, but I think what was, what's happened is, is we've, we've begun to think about church like a business. And, and we, we want to be uh, thinking through strategies and we want to be relevant in the community and all of these things. But what we need to be doing, not just your pastors, not just elders and deacons, but every single one of us, we need to not be preparing for business as usual. We need to be getting ready for battle. And this is so important for us to see today because we're missing this, I believe, as a church. I think if you really get down to, to, the, to the, the bottom of this whole thing, relevance when it trumps righteousness and when being hip is more important than being holy, we are no longer the church. We are no longer the kind of people we need to be to literally take on the enemy, to take the fight to him, and to win the battle. I have to confess to you, I, as a pastor and a leader, many times have approached ministry as if it were a business and not a battle. And because of that, there have been times where I was read up and prepared from the world's perspective, but my heart wasn't ready for the battle that can only truly uh, be prepared for in prayer. Many times, you know, I, I, I think as I'm trying to think of applications and I'm writing these sermons, I'm thinking, well, it all boils down to read your Bible more and pray more. And, and as I look to the word and as I look to Christian history, I'm going to tell you, that's where it's at, brothers and sisters. We have to learn how to pray. We have to let the word of God become our word because if not, we are going to be defeated. You see, I think the church today, as long as we're playing the game, as long as we're just, you know, being business-like, the devil doesn't mind it if we ignore him. In fact, that's what he's counting on. He will let us build buildings and he'll let us do nice things in the community as long as souls stay in his control. One of the things that this renovation project that we're doing here brought to my mind was we cannot build anything here. We can't even renovate anything here if we're just doing it to be relevant, if we're just doing it to be uh, the, the cool kids in town. I think that ship sailed for me a long time ago. Just ask my kids. But it isn't about being cool. It's about really, are we doing everything we're doing? Is it aiming at reaching souls? God has shook my spirit in this way. And I can tell you as a pastor at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, what we're aiming to do, everything we do, we are aiming towards reaching our community and reaching the world for Jesus, no exceptions. If we have to compromise the gospel in any way to be relevant, we're not going to do it because that's not what warriors do. Warriors don't worry about relevance, they worry about winning the battle. And we want to fight the right battle and we, went to, we want to win the war Friends, let's proclaim the gospel. Let's make sure that we are getting involved in the right fights. Because let me tell you, spiritual warfare is brutal. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, nothing more 
nothing less. Let me show you in the text what I'm talking about here. Now, as we dive into the word, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start from the bottom and work to the top. A little bit unorthodox here, but I think I can show you why we're going to do that. Because before we can talk about battles, before we can talk about spiritual warfare, we need to clarify who the enemy is. What good is it to fight a battle if you're not sure who the enemy is? So the enemy we face is in verse 12. Look at that again. Verse 12 says it like this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think you see right there in that one verse that our enemy is clearly defined to be Satan himself and the forces of darkness that are under his command. And I'm going to warn you, as we listen to God's word today, some of this is going to sound a little old-fashioned because so much of our preaching today, we don't talk about Satan and we don't talk about demons and we don't talk about hell. We're almost ashamed to talk about those biblical subjects because that's not relevant. That's not what people want to hear. They want to hear about doing better and being good people and, and finding systems of thought and, 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 and counseling and getting all those things that we need to be a better person. Listen to me. You are not going to be the best person you can be if Satan is attacking you and winning those battles. God's word is clear that we have an enemy. Now, here's something to clarify. Notice what it says right off the top there in verse 12. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is so clear, our enemy is never another human being. I can't tell you how many times I have lost my way in ministry because I have forgotten that the people that I'm ministering to, even if they are kind of in attack mode against me or the staff, I tend to think that they're the enemy. I have in the past. But what I've begun to realize is, is that every single one of us, your pastor included, can sometimes be manipulated by that darkness that is in this world. But if I go after people, I'm not fighting the right fight. I need to realize that, yes, Satan will work through individuals, but we need to win the battle by fighting him and not each other. I am tired of the church, not ours. I think our church is really in a good place peacefully right now. But listen to me, over the years, I've seen so many churches struggling because they're fighting one another instead of fighting the enemy. Oh, friends, when our energies and anxieties are focused on people, we're giving a free pass to the one who is truly destroying us. Do you realize every minute you're upset about another person is a minute you're not praying and you're not preparing for the fight that the enemy's bringing to you. Take a look at verse 12 once more. Notice Paul uses the word wrestle. Now, when I think of wrestling, and, and please, if you're a big wrestling fan, I'm going to offend you right here. But I think of something that's more staged and comic. I, I don't think of, I think more nacho libre, I think, than, you know, like real fighting, okay? Ooh, that's a bad analogy. But anyway, um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. So when I hear the word wrestle, I don't take it really seriously. But let me tell you, this word in the original language is the word, the word that is used of the hand-to-hand -hand combat that took place where shield clashed against shield in ancient warfare. In ancient warfare, if you were going to win the battle, you couldn't do it from distance. Even an arrow shot wasn't, wasn't close enough. You had to get in where men would, would grapple with men. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, we do not wrestle. We do not do hand-to-hand -hand combat um, with other people, but with the devil himself. And let me tell you, he doesn't fight fair. He doesn't just want to soil your reputation or hurt your feelings. He wants to destroy your 
soul. Now think about how many things we get upset about in the church today. We talk about, oh, you've, you've said something and you've hurt my reputation or, or my feelings have been hurt. Church, we're going to have to be tougher than that. We have to be tougher than that. Wrestling here, the battle, listen, it's not about words. It's not about feelings. It's about a life and death struggle with, as Paul says here, cosmic powers. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, he speaks of the gods of this age. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 causes us to pause and realize that the dark magic and the evil happenings that we read about in mythology or in the histories of peoples from around the world, there's a, re, there's a source behind it. I've spent the last several years reading the mythologies of the ancient world and, and, and thinking through all the stories that sort of are foundational to the myths that we even carry into today. I think like superhero stories today are just a continuation of myths of old. Uh, people have always been telling stories, but I want to tell you something. I believe that those stories represent some power that is in the world. When we read about the Greek and Roman gods and the kind of capricious and evil things that they did, I think that there's some truth to those stories, but I don't think they were gods gods that were manipulating men. I think that's the darker forces of this world. And, and you may think I'm crazy, but why is it that every culture has this element of, of gods, little g, and, and all of these different forces? And, and I, I just think because there are powers in the world that are uh, uh, arrayed against us. You think that that might be of old, that that's from history. But how can you look at the modern abortion movement and not see darkness? How can you see people who, who glory in euthanasia for our elderly? How can you see that and not say that there's something darker there than philosophy and darker there than human progress? There are enemies in the world, cosmic powers at work in the world. They are in heavenly places. Now, not heavenly in the sense of heaven like we would think of heaven, but I believe that means that these powers are above us. Don't think for a minute that the powers I'm talking about are the things that you can defeat in your own power. There is no way that we can win this fight by being good people, by being clever people, by being strong people. No, we must be in the Lord. We're going to see that as the text continues. It's just an aside. I always wish we had more time, but in Ephesians 6:12 here, I think there is a nod here to a story from Acts chapter 19. Write this down. Acts 19:13 through 20. That's the story of the sons of Sceva. And believe it or not, that story took place in Ephesus. It's a story about these, these guys who are kind of playing with spiritual powers and they get physically assaulted by dark forces. Now, why would Paul be talking about these cosmic powers if, if they weren't real? And if it wasn't true that people in Ephesus could go, you know what? I remember that day when the sons of Sceva, they were beat up by a force that wasn't human. I think some of the, the readers of Ephesus remembered this story. Spiritual warfare is not a topic of abstract discussion, but something that really takes place. There are powers in this world that are dark and foreboding. And we need to prepare our hearts for that reality. And as I've been saying to you, these evil forces, they will not fight fair. One commentator, John R.W. Stott, a great British New Testament scholar, he said that the forces of evil will not abide by the Geneva Convention of Rules for Warfare. Church, one of the most sad phrases I hear, not just from children, but even from adults, 
is this isn't fair. So many times in church work and church life and ministry, people get their feelings hurt and they'll say, this isn't fair. Do you realize if that's all you're concerned about is being treated fairly, then the devil has you and he's going to beat you up and you're never going to win. It's not about fair. It's about faith. It's not about being right. I'm right, you're wrong. But it's about being righteous in Christ. We have to get serious about this. We have to stop playing games. We have to not pretend as though this is a game. This is war. And our enemy is strong. But so is the armor we wear. Look at verse 11. Now notice again, we're working backwards. I've started by telling you who the enemy is, but notice the strength that you have. There is hope here. Verse 11 tells us, put on the whole armor of God. Listen, you have armor. Put it on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are multiple places in God's scripture where we are told to just stand firm. We're not told to charge uh, like some desperate person trying to win the day. We're just told to stand. And in this case, to put on the armor of God. The battle is serious, but God has given us good armor to put on so that we can withstand the fight. But here's the question, church. Have you put on the armor? Have you taken the time? Because to get dressed for war takes time. I was reading a book uh, just last week about Richard the Lionheart. Did you know he was killed in a battle, in a minor skirmish, because he didn't take the time to put on his armor? He had been shot with bolts of arrows many times in his life, but he had his armor on and that preserved his life. But one time, a guy with a frying pan as a shield, no joke, and a crossbow killed a king because he didn't have his armor on. What good is armor if you don't put it on? And that's why Paul says, put on the armor of God. The picture here that Paul is painting is of a Roman soldier. When we think of soldiers today, we think of battle dress, uniforms, camouflage, the boots, all those things. But in this day, when Paul began to talk about warriors, the image that came to mind would have been those Roman soldiers clad in, in, in polished armor with swords shining. If you were a poor person in a poor country, your soldiers would have never looked like that. You didn't have the money to have armor. You didn't have swords and shields, but the Romans did. And when they rolled into town, everybody knew that they were there. Very intimidating. Now, I want you to realize that the church is filled with young children and some of us that are older. And I don't think the world looks at us and says, wow, they're scary. Well, I don't know. Some of you may think I'm scary. I, I don't know. But nonetheless, we're not very scary looking, are we? Not very intimidating. But when we put on the armor of God, we have a strength and a power far beyond what the world can understand. But we have to put on the armor. We have to put on Christ. One of the most important phrases in Paul's thinking and theology is in Christ. And even that preposition in is reminding us that it's something that, that we have to be behind, something that we have to be inside of. We have to have Christ on the outside. We have to have him fighting for us. It's not our power, it's his power. God provides the armor. God provides the power. We have to put it on and stand. Why do we need to do this? Well, look at the text again with me. Verse 11 says, put on the armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. The devil is crafty. The forces of darkness don't come frontally in an assault. They usually come from behind or from the blind side. 
That's what Paul is saying here when it comes to scheming. The devil is tricky. He wants you out of balance. Here's one of the cleverest tools in Satan's toolbox. It's that he convinces us that he doesn't exist at all. One of the things today, I think, that when you listen to academia, when you read the books and, and, and hear those who are in the ivory towers of academia, they talk about spirituality as if it's all made up and a joke. That is exactly where the devil wants us to be, church. And it is interesting. Think about how often we don't talk about spiritual things. We talk about practical application, about how you can be a better person. But how many times in the churches today, even today of all the thousands of sermons that are being preached online today and around the world, how many of those sermons are encouraging God's people to put on the armor of God and to fight the good fight? Probably not too many because most of them are trying to make you feel good, make you think that everything's okay, that if you're just a good person, it'll all work out. That is not what Paul says. He says, you better put on the armor because the enemy is strong. The world thinks that all talk of devils and demons is the talk of fairy tales and myth. And as long as you think the devil's a myth, you won't see him coming. And you won't have your armor on for the fight. And it won't take a bullet to take you down, but just a mere scratch. Because his poison is deadly. Oh, friends, we need to realize we have armor. And without that armor, the one who Scripture tells us in Job chapter 1, the one who is walking to and fro upon the earth, he will attack us. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that he's like a lion seeking whom he may devour. Revelation 12.10 reminds us that the devil is at work day and night. Why would the Scripture continually warn us of these things if these weren't real threats? Oh, friends, we, we don't talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about better human relationships. We talk about having a better witness in our workplace. All those things are good. But why would we talk about those things when our hearts are exposed to the teeth of the lion that wants to rip us apart? You can make a difference at work and you can be a witness for Christ, but not until you have the armor of God on. Not until you realize the fight that we are in and that you are ready to push back against the craftiness of the enemy. Listen to Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10. I think it sums up our point nicely here. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You have power to destroy the strongholds of Satan when you have the armor of God put on. The final point is in verse 10, the strength we weld. Notice this, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I've already told you that we need to put on the armor, but we also need to realize that we have power. I want you to take a look at your passage of scripture and look at that word finally. Some would say that perhaps Paul is, is closing his argument. In other words, when a preacher says, in conclusion, which if you've been in many Baptist churches, you know that's not true. But when Paul is saying this, I don't think that's what he's trying to do. He's not a, a preacher wrap, wrapping up a sermon. He's a prophet preparing your heart for the second coming. I think that word finally could be translated in this way, until the end. Until the end, until Jesus comes back, be strong. Listen to it. Until the end, until Jesus comes back, be strong in him and in the strength of his might. He's not wrapping up his argument. He's preparing you for the fight. The battle we fight 
will not cease until Jesus returns. You do not get a a, a reprieve. You do not get a furlough. You do not get a day of rest as a believer. We have built in so much rest in the church today. We're always worried about people being well rested. You know what I think we need to do? I think we need to stop worrying about when our next sabbatical is and we need to get to work for the kingdom of God. I believe that we have to refresh our souls, but we're spending so much time and energy trying to be refreshed that we're never putting on the armor and we're not ready for the battle. Church, this must stop. I hear so many excuses about why we don't come to church and why we don't do ministry. And it all boils down to we've bought into this lie that we need to take care of ourselves first. No, we need to take care of the gospel. We need to uphold the traditions and we need to preach with power and with conviction and passion like never before. We have to stop playing a game and get into the fight. Friends, celebrate every victory you have in Jesus and own every defeat you have in the flesh. When you lose your daily battle, it isn't because Jesus wasn't strong enough. It's because you gave in to sin. How many times have I lost the battle for the day? I've been doing this for 25 years as a pastor and I'm gonna tell you, I've lost more battles than I've won. The only time that I've won battles is because I was wise enough in the morning to put on the armor of God and to depend on the power that comes from above. The old King James, I don't often like its translation because it's old school, but sometimes now I guess I'm getting old school, so I like it. It says, ye are in him that is able. That's the translation here. Ye are in him that is able. God is able. The strength you have is in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.1 says that we are strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We are told that we have within our inner being the strength of Christ. In chapter 3, verse 16 of Ephesians, we can win when we are in Christ. In this letter of Ephesians alone, Paul says 35 times that we must be in Christ. So let's think about a few things as we conclude. I want to ask you some questions and I want to dig a little deeper into your heart before we leave. How many opportunities have we lost because we spend our time fighting each other rather than Satan? I have to tell you that in 25 years, there have been times when I've cried and been more upset about a disagreement with a deacon or with a brother in Christ than I have been in tears over souls. I've been more worried about my job than I was about my calling. I wonder how many of you right now, God's bringing to mind a brother or sister in Christ that you have, you have fought with, you have disagreed with, and you may think that it's in the past and you may think it's over, but I will tell you, you're not able to put on your full armor as long as you have something against your brother or sister. I know it's hard in this age of COVID-19 for us to get together and pray, but if you have a brother or sister that you have offended or a fear that you have, you want some application for today, you, I'm praying you will not be able to take a nap this afternoon, go play golf, or go drown a worm fishing until you've made it right with that person. Because listen, that person isn't your enemy. The devil is your enemy. Fight against him, not other people. And if you remain stubborn, you will stay spiritually stale. Second question, how how many battles have we lost because we've been too lazy to put on the armor 
and stand up for Jesus. I've already shared with you how many times in my life I fear that I've not put on the armor of God. I've not prayed as I ought. I've not been in the word as I ought. A soldier must be disciplined. Are you? You've probably had a little more time on your hands the last two months. Has that led to more quiet time? Has that led to a deeper time in the word? Probably not. My guess is, is you've been distracted by other things. I would say most of us have not dug deeper. Put on the armor. You need it. The third and final question. How much longer will we try to beat the prince of darkness in our own pitiful strength? Stop trying to win spiritual war without the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop thinking that you can do this. Second Chronicles 20:15. Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. God spoke that to a king of old, and he is speaking that to you right now. The battle is real. The victory is sure, but only in Christ. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.